This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. If you believe the advertising, the time to start a family is when you cast a knowing glance at your attractive partner over your marble bench top whilst wearing lovely activewear. And all you really need to do is pop a couple of vitamin pills. The reality can be slightly different. But apart from making that momentous decision that, yes, this is the person that you're prepared to be forever bonded with in parenthood, and yes, this is the person I will still love even when we're elbow deep in poo, Lego or Barbies, have you given any thought to your beloved's genetic makeup? If you've had a parent, sibling, a niece, a nephew or a grandparent diagnosed with a genetic condition, you might well be aware of how important it is to consider pre-genetic testing. It looks for these common errors in genes. And like I said before, you've got a backup copy of each of your genes or most of your genes. And that backup copy means that you may not be affected by a condition, but you might have an error in one copy of your gene that you could pass on to, to your child. And if your partner also had an error in that particular gene and you both passed on that error, the child actually wouldn't have a backup copy of the gene. So conditions like cystic fibrosis are caused when each member of the couple have an error in the cystic fibrosis gene and they pass that on to one in four of the children on average and then the child is born without a functioning copy of that gene. And now out from the CSI laboratories it's possible to get you and your partner's genes screened for potentially dangerous genetic mismatches. This sort of pre-pregnancy testing isn't something that you go into lightly but Monash IVF has now introduced a do-it-yourself home test kit that lets you take the DNA sample at home and have it analysed for any potential genetic red flags. I'm not the expert here, so we're very lucky to be joined by Dr Tristan Hardy, who's Medical Director of Genetics at Monash IVF. He's also an obstetrician gynaecologist and a genetic pathologist. Dr Tristan is also an expert in pre-implantation genetic screening. And Tristan, you're going to have to explain to us what is a genetic pathologist? A genetic pathologist is not a job title that most people would know about. The best way to describe what a pathologist does is to think of them more like a radiologist. People know a radiologist is someone who looks at images uh, generated by very complex machines and tries to work out what the diagnosis is um, for, for groups of patients. And a genetic pathologist does very much the same thing, but instead of looking at images, we're looking at uh, data that's generated by a whole range of genetic tests. So that might be looking down the microscope at chromosomes taken from someone's cells, or it might be reading the sequence of the DNA in an instrument and then interpreting whether the genetic changes that are identified uh, have caused a genetic condition or a medical condition in one of the patients. More and more diseases and conditions we're discovering are being caused by glitches in our DNA. Exactly. So all of us have six billion letters of DNA inside every one of our cells and most of us have uh, variations that will change the, um, change the way that code operates. And so if you think we've got a backup copy of most of our genes and a change in one copy of a gene may not cause an issue, but a change in both copies of the same genetic instruction might cause an issue, that's called a recessive condition. And there are also genetic changes that occur when only one copy of a gene changes, and that's called, called a dominant condition. And so 
our ability to understand the impact of genetic variation on people's health has really, really changed with the development of next generation sequencing technologies. So to give you an idea, the first time that they sort of put together the human genome in the Human Genome Project, it took 12 years and $3 billion and people across continents. And now we can order uh, a human genome and basically have it performed in a number of days for you know, roughly the cost of $1,000. So the scale of the activity has totally changed so that we can deliver that information to people in a really timely manner and to give them important information at really every stage of their life. Tristan, there's not just genes that cause problems. There are also genes that mop up problems from other gene errors. There's actually a whole host of genes that, that make uh, proteins that they all kind of assemble together and help, help your cells repair uh, DNA changes. So when you develop a, a cancer, uh, some people have an inherited change in one of the BRCA genes. They also have inherited changes in the other genes that sort of associate with the BRCA genes. And then also your tumour itself may actually have developed those changes independently of you. So you weren't born with those changes, but the tumour itself has. And so some, even some of the new breast cancer therapies, they target those changes that they sort of help to to target the cells directly that have those changes. So in every field, whether it's cancer, reproduction, um, and our understanding of disease across childhood and adulthood, genetics has a a really big role to play. And look, explanation is really important, actually. I mean, people sometimes think about, you know, the only reason you make a diagnosis is for, you know, the purposes of therapy. But actually, a diagnosis can be therapeutic itself. And for a lot of um, couples, I mean, one of the other roles that I have is performing this sort of really complex testing where we compare the, the genome or the exome of the parents and a child who's got a really rare condition. And we're looking through all of the genes that, uh, that encode proteins, all of the 20,000 or so genes, and trying to find the explanation. And sometimes we find an explanation that doesn't actually provide them necessarily with any therapeutic options at the moment, but it does give them an explanation for why it happened and that can be a really good part of the healing process and the understanding on on the journey that they're on yes because i guess with a lot of childhood illnesses even cancers i suspect there's a lot of guilt that goes into the parents lives at the time like you know what did we do did i have that glass of champagne at christmas what what did i do to wreck things Absolutely. I think that parental feeling of responsibility that you have for your children is so strong and so hardwired. And I mean, why wouldn't it be, right? But unfortunately, there's just so many things that we don't understand and that perhaps we've attributed to something else before. And that sometimes actually having these testing processes can help you process uh, you process why something has happened and to, to give you an explanation for it, which is really good for increasing our understanding of it. Monash IVF has actually introduced a home testing kit so before you're even thinking about getting pregnant and you don't need to even be doing IVF but you you can actually get tested to see if you carry any of the major gene markers for these terrible diseases. Yeah, so the idea really behind genetic carrier screening is to test a reproductive couple and that might be a man and a woman or it may be a person who's undergoing donor treatment and we can compare the results to a donor if you test by yourself. And the idea is that really we we want people to get the message that this sort of screening is available and it's recommended by the College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the College of General Practitioners that people consider this type of testing. And, and what it does is it, it looks for these common areas errors in genes and like I said before you've got a backup copy of each of your genes or most of your genes and 
That backup copy means that you may not be affected by a condition, but you might have an error in one copy of your gene that you could pass on to, to your child. And if your partner also had an error in that particular gene and you both passed on that error, the child actually wouldn't have a backup copy of the gene. So conditions like cystic fibrosis are caused when each member of the couple have an error in the cystic fibrosis gene and they pass that on to one in four of their children on average. And then the child is born without a functioning copy of that gene. And so that's for people in the Australian population, about one in 25 people are carriers of CF. And then other conditions like spinal muscular atrophy, which is sort of a motor neuron disease of childhood, that's about one in 40 people in the population. So it's actually, it's really common for us all to carry these changes. In fact, four out of five people, when we test them for hundreds of genes, will carry at least one genetic change. But what matters is whether that genetic change is also shared by their partner that they're trying to have a child with. So that's what this kit will do is that hopefully it will allow people to initiate and have that testing at home guided by our genetic counsellors and then they can go through the process of finding out if they're one of the 1 in 20 couples who actually are in that situation where they have an increased chance of having a child with a medical condition. It's not a cheap test to do but it's I, I think it's relatively inexpensive when you consider that you, you are going to pick up problems for 1 in 20 couples. Yeah, so I mean, talking about the expense of genetic testing, I spoke briefly before about the Human Genome Project and the idea that, you know, it cost billions of dollars, obviously, to do it the first time. And now it's sort of getting really, the, the cost is, is uh, really reducing. To give you an idea, in, in a lab before, if you wanted to test for just one gene, say cystic fibrosis, you wanted to screen just for that gene, it might have cost you a couple of hundred dollars just to screen for one gene. And now, effectively, we're testing you know, 400 genes and then it might be, you know, it's about a dollar fifty a gene, I suppose, if you think of it in those terms, um, to give you that same information and to test as many genes as possible because really it's trying to find the more genes that you screen for, the more chance there is that you find a match with your partner that gives you that information. That is such an amazing thing to be able to do. But what are the genes that you're searching for amongst the 400? What are the problems that you're hoping to alleviate? So the conditions covered are some of the most common conditions, so cystic fibrosis and spinal muscular atrophy, the ones I mentioned before. Another common gene in the population uh, is called Fragile X. And so Fragile X is a, is a gene on the X chromosome and female carriers of the Fragile X gene, they sometimes have uh, a low ovarian reserve, so a low egg count develops with age. But if they pass on the gene to a male child or a female child and that gene, we call it an expansion, the part of the gene that's sort of problematic has increased in the next generation, then that gene might switch off in the developing brain and cause a form of X-linked intellectual disability. And so they're some of the more common ones, but the idea is that all of the, the genes that, is, that we're screening for cause significant childhood medical conditions. So each of them would affect children in very different ways, depending on what the genetic instruction does. But they all tend to follow the same patterns of inheritance. And if you screen positive, then there's a one in four chance of having a child with that particular condition. Of course, if you and your partner do come up positive for one of these recessive genes, obviously getting pregnant will be a roll of the dice. You've got a one in four chance of something turning up. Or, or if it's a dominant gene, a, a one in two chance of, of something going wrong. 
Yeah. So when we see couples who are in this situation, we talk through all of their reproductive options. And so we start with the idea of just accepting that there is a chance of that happening and then uh, only testing at birth or after birth if there are symptoms that develop in the child. Uh, we talk about testing during pregnancy, so prenatal testing. And prenatal testing involves taking a sample of cells either from the developing placenta or from the fluid around the baby, and called a CVS or an amniocentesis. And that allows us to test directly for the genetic change that's been identified and to determine whether the, the baby would be affected or not. And then there's also ways in an IVF clinic that we can assist people. So we can perform testing of embryos for the genetic condition and determine which of the embryos would have a high chance of developing that condition and only transfer those that have a low chance of developing the condition. And there's lots of different reproductive options like using donor eggs or sperm, considering adoption, surrogacy, not having children. There are many different ways to approach the situation. And so the most important thing that we do really is to, to, provide, to provide people with all of the information so that they can make a choice that fits in with their values. It is a really difficult choice. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a difficult choice. It's also a difficult um, process to go through. I mean, it sounds, sometimes people think it sounds that it could be technically challenging, but perhaps attractive option to them. So they think that it's something that would sort of fit in with their values. But then even then we have to consider uh, their fertility investigations, and whether they're a good candidate for IVF. Of course, as part of the process, you have to have IVF to generate these embryos. And so, so we need to know that, I, I tell people it's like a marathon, you know, you set out, you've got an idea, and you've, you've really got to pursue it. It takes a, a lot of treatment really to get through it. And even when we test an embryo and say that it's low risk for any particular condition, when we transfer those embryos, they don't necessarily work. Maybe 50% of the time they do, but, um, but certainly it really does take quite a journey to get there. Obviously, there are lots of people who are lucky and it may work the first time, but there's many others for whom, for whom it takes really quite a lot of work. And a lot of my patients had a, a lot of stamina over the years. I always say that it's my job to, to kind of entertain them while nature flips the coin and hopefully gives them some good luck. And for anybody that's going, oh, you know, you're just flippantly picking a designer baby, that couldn't be further from the truth. Obviously, it's a common misconception. These are really important medical conditions and that the, the families themselves have decided that they're important and that's important enough to go through this treatment. It is a really big step to go through this treatment and shouldn't be minimised. It's certainly not about picking a perfect baby. There's there are so many things that are beyond our control when we have children and our understanding even of the genetics of so many aspects of our lives uh, is so incomplete and, and it always will be to an extent because really for us to be able to crunch the numbers on 6 billion letters of DNA to understand what a unique person you might have one day uh, when you have a child is, is just so far from, from what we can do and it's so far from what we would want to do but this is really just about finding an option for people who have what to them is a critical change in their genes and that would really impact on the health of their future children and that they they decide that they want to have this treatment because it's important to them. This wasn't available up until recently in a way that people could easily do. And so, so when you have this sort of testing, I mean, there are many people over the last number of decades and there still are many people who find out that they're carriers of a condition when they have an affected child. And so the idea is really to bring that moment forward and to say, rather than have a child with the condition, we can give you this information beforehand, but when you're planning a pregnancy uh, or when you're already pregnant and you can decide what to do with that information. And so people may not realise, but IVF in, its, in the first instance was, was kind of conceived as an idea that might allow us 
to perform genetic testing on embryos. So Bob Edwards, who got the Nobel Prize for developing IVF, he performed this sort of testing on rabbit embryos in the late 60s. Uh, he thought that the purpose of IVF might be to allow parents uh, the option to, to have children you know, without particular medical conditions uh, as our genetic understanding increased. And so he actually had that visionary future and then he, he later you know, got mixed up with a gynecologist, Patrick Septo, who suggested it would be a great treatment for tubal infertility and of course it was and that is the, the main reason that people may have IVF today is for the treatment of subfertility. But this actually is becoming a more and more important part of it. So and there may be as many people in the future having IVF for, for this reason as there are now for infertility. With the families that you know who have discovered that there's a, a genetic problem in their family, if they were of the chance to turn the clock back, would they have taken the test before they started their families? Yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of people do find themselves in that situation, and it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to process because obviously our genetic testing and our diagnostic ability has increased rapidly, and sometimes this information is being dropped into people's lives at all different parts of the reproductive journey, whether they've had children before, they're planning future children, they haven't had children. It's really it's it you know the timing of it can be can be really difficult, and I suppose again it's our it's our job to care for people who are in that situation and to help them through what their options are thinking forward. Obviously, genetics is something that runs through families, right? You know, it has impacts on other family members and people sometimes find out things that can be relevant to their other family members as well. And it can give siblings and their nieces and nephews, etc., explanation for what may be happening. So it is, it's obviously a delicate topic, but I suppose that's why we have you know, a brilliant team of genetic counsellors to get people through those situations. Obviously, some people are, are going to know that there's a bit of a family history of something or other. Other people, it will come out of the blue. But if you know that you've got a cousin or an auntie or a grandfather that maybe had something, what are the the conditions that you would really recommend that people take a a pre-test for those gene markers? Well, I mean, the interesting thing about family history is actually it's a pretty poor predictor of what might happen with your children because we're all carriers of genetic changes. And it's only when we meet a partner or the egg or sperm provider who who then combines with us to make a new person that the the genetic changes are usually seen. In fact, more than 80% of couples who have a child with a a recessive condition don't have any family history of the con- of the condition. So the other type of genetic condition, a dominant condition, like we said, where you inherit, and there's a one in two chance that you'll inherit the copy of the genetic change that causes that condition. They do tend to run through families. So that might be something of early onset cancers in the family or early onset neurodegenerative conditions. So they're the sorts of things that you might say, well, look, I've got this quite strong family history of a condition that affects the heart, the brain, risk of cancer that seems to affect every generation. But when it comes to the recessive conditions, of course, you may have a family history of it. You may have a niece or nephew who's been diagnosed with a condition and you may also be a carrier. But what matters is the combination of your partner's genetic instructions with yours. I suppose the other difficulty is is that when you are doing the testing, if you're trying to find an embryo that's missing these conditions, what happens to the embryos that don't have the great genetics? Yeah, so the type of testing that we do on embryos now, we tend to do it when the embryo is about five days old or more and there's more than 100 cells of the developing embryo. It sort of forms like a soccer ball on the inside. You can see the inner cell mass, which becomes the baby later on, and then the outer cell mass sort of becomes the placental tissues. And when we take 
three to five cells from that outside layer. Um, we know from some very well-designed studies that that actually has very little impact on the chance of that embryo becoming a pregnancy. So the refinement of the technique has made the process much safer and the genetic testing aspect of it obviously has become more accurate with time as well. It's never 100% accurate when you perform a test on three to five cells. I mean, it's, you know, it's harder than the, the guys in CSI, right? Like, you know, in terms of the amount of DNA that we've got. But then you do have that conflict when people have different values and belief structures and, and how, how they will approach, you know, what to do with embryos that have been diagnosed with a condition. And it differs from person to person, it also differs from condition to condition. And sometimes we will get requests to transfer embryos that potentially could be affected by a condition or that we have almost certainly diagnosed with a condition. And those requests are always taken very seriously and taken to be an important part of the journey. So it is it's a very dynamic area when you have individual or a couple in front of you. So the couple do have the final say on that? So in most instances, the aim is to transfer embryos which are either unaffected or a carrier of a condition. But then when it comes to some people, they might get to the, the point in their fertility journey where their only option is to transfer, say, a male carrier of a breast cancer gene. And that person themselves would have a relatively low lifetime risk of breast cancer as a, as a male, although their risk would be much increased compared to a male in the general population. But they may, be, may decide that transfer an embryo in that situation is appropriate. And so it differs from state to state in Australia, actually. So whether it's individual clinical geneticists which provide counselling and then approve certain circumstances, or whether there's a, a sort of a government review board as there is in Melbourne, I believe. The purpose of pre-implantation genetic testing is to transfer embryos which you've demonstrated to be free of the condition rather than just to take the 50-50 risk in that scenario. And if you were preferring to just let nature decide and to take the 50-50 risk, then that's in some ways seen as preferable to then actually diagnosing an embryo and then transferring it with that knowledge. In each and every individual circumstance, obviously there's a, there's a wide range of, of ways in which people approach the situation. But as a, as a general principle, IVF clinics, the guidelines are the way that we operate are that we only transfer embryos which are shown to be at low risk for having a, a condition. Yeah. Oh, it's so difficult. And the, you know, the hypotheticals and the, the people that decide, it must be so tricky. It is. It is tricky, but I mean, that's what makes it interesting and that what, <laughs> that's what makes my, my job very colourful. And, and, and really, I mean, our aim is to, we, we want to help as many people have information about their situation and to go through the process of understanding what they can do and to help them through that journey. And it changes along the way. I have people who change from one testing method to another and come back after different experiences. And the aim is to help them build a family and, and at the end of the day, give them the best shot at that. That. And so it's an ever-moving feast, but it's certainly something that it keeps us on our toes, I suppose. The pre-pregnancy testing is not free and it is available to anybody. It costs about oh, 1250 for a couple, so you each get tested yeah. to see if you're carriers. Yeah. of these things. But the good news is that the embryo screening is now being covered by Medicare. Yeah, so this is really, it's a fantastic and a, quite a bold move by the federal government. PGT has been around for 
over 30 years clinically, but there have been barriers to its adoption by the fact that people have to pay for it privately and there hasn't been any Medicare support for it up until recently. But in November, the government introduced a Medicare rebate for both the test design process that you have to undergo to outline those DNA fingerprints in your family before having an IVF cycle and also for testing of up to three embryos per cycle, which is about the average that you might have tested in a cycle of IVF. And they haven't put any description particularly on the names of conditions that are included in that testing, but they've just said that anyone who has a genetic condition and a diagnosis that would have a significant chance of having a pregnancy affected by that diagnosis is able to, to access that Medicare support. So it, we've already seen so many people consider this as an option when they wouldn't have otherwise been able to because of the support of the Medicare rebate. It's just been fantastic. Genetic pathologist and director of genetics at Monash IVF. That was Dr. Tristan Hardy. How amazing is that science? I'll put a link to Monash IVF on the Baby Talk website too if you want to find out a little more about the genetic testing. Now you can find the Baby Talk website. Just search Baby Talk, one word, on your computer or you can track us down on iTunes or the amazing ABC Listen app which you must download if you haven't already. I'm Penny Johnston and I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Digital Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.